This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. This is Father Joseph Anthony Kress. And this is Father Gregory Pine. Welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. Here we are, Easter. We've survived Holy Week. Christ is risen. Yay. Let's go. <laughs> He's risen indeed. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's always like the end of Holy Week and Easter. It's always one of those things where there's the, the sort of, okay, I'll speak for myself. The the sort of Please. glory of Easter is like, ah, I made it through Holy Week for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I survived. You survived. I think that's what everybody kind of feels like in a way. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But I think most priests feel about, that way. Yeah. That, I mean, that, they, yeah. Fair truth. Preach. Amen. Hallelujah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but let's That's talk about good. something more serious for, for a Please. second. Please. Can't we move um, into that? Yeah, let's talk about peeps. Uh, like friends? So the homies? No. No. Jeez. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the marshmallow treat. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I think peeps are foul. And the only way <laughs> that they are worth eating is when they're really stale so that you can swallow them more quickly. Uh, I think they're disgusting. And the best wow. way to eat them is either stale or to just blow them up in the microwave and not eat them. Yeah. Um, but people like peeps. Like they're everywhere. There's chocolate peeps. There's regular peeps. There's chick peeps. There's there's peeps everywhere. And it's it's an abomination, you know? Like it's just awful. So I don't yeah. know what your thoughts are on peeps, but we're going to start. Other people might. That might be a hot take for some people. Okay. Peeps are like yeah, peanut butter. They're, if they ever made peanut butter peeps... It's the end of the world. Disgusting. Well, we all know you hate peanut butter, but here's I the thing. Both. I, I, I also don't like peeps. I've never had them. It was never part of my childhood growing up. But what I did always have were those Reese's peanut butter eggs, which I mm. will dig oh. my heels in the fact that the Reese's peanut butter egg is the perfect ratio of peanut butter to chocolate. It's not I don't even know what peanut it butter. is about it's like, them. It's like sawdust okay, flakes. Easy. It's awful. They are delicious. And you can watch your mouth right now because the Reese's peanut butter egg is where it's at. And that's why I love like the Easter seasons because th they hit the shelves and it's the perfect ratio. You can fight me on that. Wait, can I tell you one other thing before we hear from <laughs> Father Gregory's comments? Yeah, you're going so, to. It's fine. The week before Ash Wednesday, before Lent started, I was in the grocery store here in Hanover. And as I walked in, they had some Easter displays and they had Starburst jelly beans. So I got a bag of Starburst jelly beans, which are my favorite. And I ate the whole bag, like a big bag in an afternoon. No. I just like kept throwing them into my mouth. I felt kind of sick the next morning. Like, you know, like a six-year-old, you know, a 35-year-old priest hey. pounding sugar like there's no tomorrow. But... Hey, you got to be like a child to enter the eggs. kingdom, all right? Starburst right. jelly beans. Let's go. Oh, so good. Father Gregory, <laughs> your thoughts on peeps or all things Easter candies? Yeah, they're at the heart of the church. I will provide meta-commentary. So I would just like to make some introductory notes about this introduction. Um, I'd mm -hmm. like to note the Thank fact you. that you started with like, uh, so it's Easter, long exhalation. I just got beaten up <laughs> by Holy Week. <laughs> and then I also like to note the fact that Ordinarily, we start Lexio episodes with like a kind of chipper iceberg. It's like, hey, I was thinking this thing. What do you think about this thing? Instead, you were like, peeps, abomination, your thoughts. <laughs> Why you would ever expect me to be chipper about anything? That's your first mistake. You know, Easter joy, it's real, but it's like, this is how it's manifested in this son of God. There it is. Oh, hey. So no Pray, thoughts. Hey, preach. Amen. Hallelujah. Quote you. 
You say you have no thoughts on peeps? None. Okay. Well, happy Easter, everybody. We're going to turn to the readings. Enough of this tomfoolery. Um, So let's begin with the collect for this Easter Sunday. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, who on this day, through your only begotten Son, have conquered death and unlocked for us the path to eternity. Grant, we pray, that we who keep the solemnity of the Lord's resurrection may, through the renewal brought by your Spirit, rise up in the light of life. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. And with that, we will turn to our first reading for this Easter Sunday. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Peter proceeded to speak and said, You know what has happened all over Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went about doing good and healing all those oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. This man God raised on the third day and granted that he be visible, not to all the people, but to us, the witnesses chosen by God in advance, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commissioned us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we have Peter's post-resurrection preaching that serves as sort of a summary of, of all things. If you're looking for a brief, brief summary of our Lord's of our Lord's mission, what he accomplished, and the effects of what he accomplished, you need not look any further than than Peter's preaching here. It's obviously a very short summary, but a sort of gospel, we could say, in itself. Um, not in the strict sense, of course, not being a heretic, obviously, but, you know, a summary of, of what is um, what has happened and what is continuing to happen. And when we listen to Peter here in this reading, but also through the Acts of the Apostles as he continues to preach and as the church begins to be formed and as the weeks of Easter progress, we'll continue to read from the Acts of the Apostles and and get these these narratives and these these pericopes or these these pieces of of preaching of the in the early church. Um, there there are sort of two dimensions to what is being proclaimed. On the one hand, Peter is doing what I just said. He's proclaiming what has happened, Christ's resurrection, and then what is happening through that resurrection. There's a sort of a summary of universal salvation of the things on which our faith is predicated upon. Something that all believers and you know, at the time, those who were yet to convert to be Christians would hear and then, you know, be be drawn in by by faith, by that gift of faith to convert, to become disciples of Christ, to, to live their lives in Christ. So that's that's one dimension and, and worth our consideration today, but also as we continue to to listen to the to the Acts of the Apostles and, and the witness of the early church. The second dimension is also a sort of preaching, a proclamation of what the Lord has accomplished, but less so in a, in a universal way, not divorced from it, but less focused, and much more of a particular reality, right? That, that there's a summary of the universal salvation that Peter is proclaiming, but there's also a summary of his particular salvation, right? Our Lord doesn't come to heal, to save, to offer his life as a ransom for humanity. He does so for particular people. And to hear Peter preaching after the resurrection also ought to turn our minds to how it is that Christ worked in his life while before his before his crucifixion and death, that um, how Christ called Peter, 
how Christ um, built is in his building his church on Peter the rock, on how Christ offers his mercy to Peter who betrayed him. In many ways, this particular, these particulars play out in our own lives, though they might be different, but of our coming to know the Lord, of our being drawn into him, of our being healed by his mercy and being drawn into his life by his resurrection. So when we hear this preaching, when we hear this good news of the resurrection, yes, we should think, what has the Lord done for all of us? What has the Lord done for, for all men and women? But also, how is the Lord working in your life? And how is he calling you to live in that light and to live in that life here now, not just at some point in the future? As I um, was listening to you read that first reading, and as I was preparing for this, to me, there's the the center line that this entire uh, preaching of, of Peter pivots upon. And it's the line where he says, we are witnesses of all that he did we're witnesses. And I find that's a common theme through all of the readings on uh, this Easter Sunday. I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself. You're going to catch a similar theme in everything I have to say, but it's the ability to witness to what we encounter in Christ Jesus. Uh, Father Jacob Bertram was talking beautifully about how it's that particular encounter with Jesus that Peter saw in his calling, in his living with Jesus, walking with him, seeing the miracles, seeing all of these, you know, tremendous moments. And as well as after the resurrection, um, the encounters where he ate and drank with the Lord. But all of that hinges upon that reality that Peter is speaking from this encounter that he's had with Jesus, that he saw these things. He, he witnessed this. And he speaks from there, and he gives witness to it in his own words to others, that in this post-resurrection preaching, in these Acts of the Apostles, we find that Peter allows himself to remember those encounters with the Lord, allow them to motivate him and to be filled with the Spirit to go forward. But he's speaking not as uh, one who is trying to convince other people. He's not speaking as one who is invested in argumentations. He is speaking as one who has encountered God and is giving witness to that. So all that he does, all the travels, all the different locations he goes to, all that he speaks of is about him witnessing to God's power witnessing to God's love, witnessing to God's mercy, witnessing to God's gentleness, witnessing to God's um, healing abilities that he has himself has encountered and that he has seen. And he speaks from that place and he encourages us then to, in this now time of the resurrection, in this Easter season, that we are initiated into that in this very uh, Easter Sunday, the first reading, that we're drawn up into that and to be kind of encouraged ourselves to speak from that place of encounter and to speak as a witness to the Lord's resurrection. So I, I, I am struck by yeah, a variety of things that, you know, both of you have already touched on at this point. Uh, I guess I want to focus a little bit upon preaching uh, and the universal call to testimony. Um, so St. Thomas has this little reply to an objection where he talks about the different forms of preaching or testimony. And he says, I'm going to give language that is not his, but I think summarizes the phenomenon that he's describing. He says, you basically got charismatic preaching, catechetical preaching, moral preaching, and holy preaching. Charismatic preaching, he says, uh, it's like, it leads to conversion, to the embrace of the faith. Uh, and then the second 
you know, catechetical preaching, he says it instructs in the rudiments of the faith and of the sacraments, their reception. Uh, and then the third, it's about Christian life, you know, the building blocks of Christian life. And then the fourth, he says it's about the profound mysteries of the faith and specifically the perfection of Christian life. And it's fascinating to whom he assigns each of these kinds of preaching. So the fourth he assigns to bishops, but it's kind of like a wink, wink, nod, nod type thing where he says, also Dominicans. Uh, for those of you who can't hear my stage whisper, I said also Dominicans. Uh, so holy preaching. And then moral preaching he assigns to godparents, which is pretty cool. Uh, I guess that means parents as well, but godparents, should it devolve on them. Catechetical preaching, so instruction in the rudiments of faith and sacramental reception. That would be the ministers, he says. And then says charismatic preaching. To whom does that apply? He says everybody. So here in, in Peter's, pre uh, oh, Peter's preaching, we have a beautiful example, like Father Jacob Bertram was saying, of charismatic preaching. But I think it also, it, it should present us with an occasion of formulating our own testimony. So we ought to be able to give a reason for our hope, says the same Peter in one of his letters. Uh, and we, you know, should, should have a kind of conscious or deliberate sense of the way in which the Lord Jesus Christ, his historical life, his passion, death, and resurrection, has touched us, has touched the church, and then can subsequently be proclaimed unto those for whom it is also addressed. Um, so I just think that we need to insist on this Easter arch datum, namely that Christ is risen, that it has an effect in our lives, and that we can testify to it, and then in doing so, it can change the lives of others. Okay, let's look at this second reading from the letter to the Colossians. Brothers and sisters, if then you were raised with Christ, seek what is above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Think of what is above, not of what is on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ your life appears, then you too will appear with him in glory. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This, this letter to, to the Colossians kind of approaches and presents um, a unique aspect of the Lord in his incarnation in that we call the divine condescension, the fact that God lowers himself into our humanity for the specific purpose to elevate us into his divinity. And so in this letter, we find that on this day of the resurrection, where Christ experiences and enters into the lowest of the low. He enters into the realm of the dead. He enters the, into the depths of hell to raise us beyond that, to give us and open up the gates to heaven, give us paradise, and to elevate us into where he currently is in the um, at the right hand of God, seated in glory. And so as we hear that and celebrate and rejoice in this resurrection, that even though the Lord in his gentleness and his mercy goes all the way into the depths of, of our lowliness, that he elevates and draws us into the heights. And so we hear this language of seek what is above, look at what is above, not as a way to detach from this and kind of um, hate this earthly life, but allow it to be elevated into its fullness, allow it to be perfected in the grace of God, allow it to be truly united into the life of Christ who took on our humanity to allow us to then receive his divine glory. So as we hear this like really small, short voice verses of the first letter or the letter to the Colossians, that we re are reminded of the the supreme love of God who descended to our lowly state so that we could be resurrected, elevated into his heavenly life. 
So when in the Christian tradition, we talk about the resurrection, it's common enough to lump it together. Lump sounds bad to consider it in context with the ascension, the Lord seating at the right hand of power, and then his exercise of judgment. Um, so here we have one of those passages which does just that, but you also find similar things in the Gospel of John, in the letter to the Ephesians, in the letter to the Hebrews, etc. Um, and it's fascinating that in these associations, we hear the biblical author speak of the effects of the resurrection, ascension, seating at the right of the Father, and exercise of judgment. And it, you know, it has effects in our own life. So we'll hear the sacred authors talk about how it increases our faith, or it increases our hope, or it increases our charity. But that is premised upon the fact that Christ is doing something, and his doing something has real effects. Those effects register in our own lives and these virtues, but they register in the world, like in the cosmos. And you get a sense, or you get a feel for that cosmic vision with this reading. Um, so like the biblical authors will talk about how Christ as our head, the head of the body, the church and going to heaven brings us with him by a kind of corporeal logic. But then they'll also talk about it. This would be more like Hebrews, how he is the high priest goes and intercedes for us beyond the veil in the Holy of Holies. He presents our humanity as a pleasing sacrifice, as a pleasing offering to God. And in so doing, he merits or he gains our entry into heaven. Uh, or just that he goes to sit at the right hand of power, at the right hand of the Father, so that he can bestow gifts from on high as a kind of, again, completion of his priestly task. So I think that the imagery of the resurrection and then those mysteries that go with it, namely the ascension, the seating at the right of the Father, and the exercise of judgment is just so rich. But sometimes we can get lost in, yeah, the kind of grandiose descriptions, but we just need to return to the fact that real things are happening, that Christ is causing changes, he's causing effects in his church, which have a cosmic significance, and that by faith, hope, and charity, we can participate in them. Yeah, it's this, I think this change that Father Gregory is talking about, the change that is affected by the resurrection is is something that um, caught my attention too. And I guess the cosmic reality that you were speaking of is certainly true. So I'm not saying you're wrong, don't you worry. But <laughs> just like with St. Peter's preaching in the Acts of the Apostles, where we can look at it from two dimensions, where it has this sort of universal reality, this cosmic reality, also this personal particular reality, so too. The, the, what we hear in, in this letter to the Colossians. Um, Father Gregory mentioned the cosmic. I'm going to mention the particular. You know, the Christian life has is 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 a life. Uh, the Christian life and grace is one that reorients us, right? What this is why we're being instructed to seek what is above. As Father Joseph Anthony was saying, not to hate the good things of this world, but it's a reorient reorienting of our of our priorities. Of of it changes. Christ's resurrection, Christ himself, but his resurrection in particular changes what we do, what we say, how we live, how we think, how we interact, all of that. It changes everything that we no longer are consumed by the pursuit of things of this world, but we are consumed by the pursuit of the one thing that matters. That's that's Christ who now sits in glory, who sits at the right hand of the Father um, as as our Savior, as our judge, as our as our King. This is I could say what the process of conversion or the school of holiness or you know whatever whatever sort of descriptor we want to give to this to this to this life as a christian this reorienting of who we are and it's in the resurrection now christ risen from the grave um the that that we see sort of the end 
you know, we've been told through the prophets, through the preaching and the gospel of, of what's to come. But now we see, we see Christ risen and we see the end, that for which we're made, union with God, the resurrected Lord, um, union in our own resurrection, God willing, with him at the second coming. So here, right on Easter Sunday, we're already being pointed towards what it is that we are you know, what we're anticipating. It's not simply just a celebration of, of the resurrection, though that would be sufficient, more than sufficient in itself, but it's also a looking towards what is to come in our own, in our own lives, in our own relationship with the Lord. Okay, here we go then. The Gospel, Easter Sunday. Let's go. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the first day of the week, Mary of Magdala came to the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark and saw the stone removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and told them, They have taken the Lord from the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple went out and came to the tomb. They both ran, but the other disciple ran faster than Peter and arrived at the tomb first. He bent down and saw the burial cloths there, but did not go in. When Simon Peter arrived after him, he went into the tomb and saw the burial cloths there, and the cloth that had covered his head, not with the burial cloths, but rolled up in a separate place. Then the other disciple also went in, the one who had arrived at the tomb first, and he saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So I think we all like making lists insofar as they afford us a great comfort, like we have summarized or dominated whatever reality we're trying to wrap our heads around. Um, and, and certainly throughout the ages, Christians have made lists about how Christian life works. I mean, this is a reduction of creedal statements, but in a certain sense, they are a list of the things that we have to believe. Or you can think about a list to describe the process of conversion. St. Thomas Aquinas gives one. He's like, well, you turn, well, there's the infusion of grace, you turn to God, you turn from sin, and then there's the remission of sin. Boom, four steps. Uh, especially though in the 20th and 21st century, we like making weird lists with bizarro phenomenological terms. Um, and I am a product of my time. So on the basis of this 20th chapter of John, I want to describe <laughs> a five-step process to Christian encounter. Okay, here we go. So first, absence. Second, vestige. Third, witness. Fourth, veiled presence. Fifth, unveiled presence. Here we go. All right. So Mary Magdala goes to the tomb. And what does she see? We note that she does not first see, she sees not. So she saw the stone removed from the tomb. She saw what ought not to have been there. And then she looks into the tomb and she sees what, well, she does not see what ought to be there. So it's an absence. And yet what we, what we encounter in the next particular part of this passage is a kind of vestige. So when Peter and John run to the tomb, they see the burial cloths, like a kind of empirical testimony that he who was here, well, he's done something, you know, something has happened. And then all along the way, it's really witness, which makes it so that the narrative unfolds in an intelligible fashion. So Mary of Magdalene, the apostle of the apostles, she testifies to the disciples, you know, they, on the basis of her testimony, run to the tomb. And then in what follows, it's going to be the angels who subsequently testify, you know, that he is risen. And then you have that, that kind of like fullness of witness as the Lord himself approaches. So you go from absence to vestiges to witnesses, and then finally to a veiled presence as the Lord appears under the guise or semblance of a gardener. 
And then he addresses Mary by name, to which she responds, Rabuni. And then he is made plain to her and known to her. But the unveiling is something that will continue unto heaven because he immediately says, you know, don't hold on to me. I have not yet ascended to my father and your father, to my God and your God. So the real unveiled presence awaits us in the fullness of the beatific vision. But I think that, I mean, it's cool. Maybe it's cool just for me. It's got some sweet phenomenological, phenomenological language. But regardless, I think that we can see how each of these elements are present in our own Christian conversion. Sometimes it's by absence, right? The lack of what ought to be there, or what we know ought to be there. And then maybe a vestige, something that we see which captures our interest or testifies to the fact that God is doing something, the likes of which we don't yet know in its entirety. And then it's, you know, the next is to pass by way of witnesses, those people in who in our lives have testified to the power, to the glory of God. And then our Lord brings us into relationship, often by a veiled presence, but with this kind of pedagogy that leads to an unveiled presence, please God, in its perfection, fullness, and entirety in heaven. So cheers to progressive revelation. I'm hoping that it gets us all the way to God himself. Because one of my greatest gifts is unmitigated criticism, I'm going to start there. Um, I think that, yeah, that list is great, but I'm going to destroy it in a second and not yes. destroy it. I'm just going to use, I'm going to get rid of a lot of it because yes. in looking at the scriptures, the last line of the scriptures, I think is a great of this scripture passage from the 20th chapter of John that we just heard is a great sort of descriptor of, uh, of a common human experience in the pursuit of Christ for they did not yet understand um, over and over again. I want to, I was going to tell this little story and I'm still going to tell it. My, my parents were visiting up here in Hanover, uh, New Hampshire, and we were sitting after they came to mass and brought them. We were sitting in, in our, one of our parlors in our rooms at the, at the house. And behind me, there was on the wall, there's, there are a bunch of images, Fra Angelico images. And my, my dad said, looking over my shoulder, is that, is that the resurrection? And I said, I didn't turn around. It is. And it, you, there you have Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene, clinging, you know, reaching out for the resurrected Lord, but there's this weird fence thing in the background. And my dad was far less concerned about what was happening with respect to the resurrection, very confused as to why there was like a picket fence around the tomb at the resurrection. So another source of confusion in trying to understand what's going on here. Um, what I, the, the, the unmitigated criticism, I think your list is lovely, actually, Father Gregory, but um, what I wanted to point out in my remarks and my thoughts is this that the reality that the resurrection is something that confuses the apostles and the disciples and the women who follow Jesus. So I think one, two, and three are nice. The absence, vestige, and witness, but veiled, unveiled is is much more. I mean, that gets to the heart of it. Let's cut out the extra. You know, we're confused, and then at some point, God willing, things will be revealed. But on a serious note, there is a good deal of confusion as to what is happening at the tomb. Um, and as our Lord begins to bear witness to himself, the resurrected Lord, the disciples begin to understand more and more. And I think that's, again, a pattern in our Christian life of, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, And we might not be able to see and recognize the ways in which the Lord is working in our lives in the moments. But uh, through faith, through hope, we understand and we know that he is at work, that he is working and that these things will be revealed to us in his time. You know, there's a real beauty, perhaps a discomfort, but a beauty in the fact that our Lord doesn't require us to have everything neatly ordered and put in place and have complete, perfect understanding of who he is and what he's doing in order to work. The beauty of the resurrection is that Christ comes to save and he offers himself. And our response to that is to 
cling to him, is to follow him, is to um, preach him with our lives, is to give ourselves over to him and trust more and more that he's at work. Um, I, I love the interactions of the apostles, and I, I'm not going to lie here. This is me just kind of reading into the scriptures a little bit, so this is going to get into some dangerous waters real quick, okay? Um, but I, I can just see the deep relationships and also the little bit of the humor between uh, Peter and John in this uh, account of the resurrection. And now I, John and Peter didn't have a podcast to kind of like, you know, rip each other apart every now and then in a playful way at the beginning of a 30 minute episode randomly that can be found on all your major podcast apps and on YouTube in case you're wondering. Uh, also can be found on Patreon um, if you would like to support us. So uh, that is not how the gospel started. It was not crowd crowdsourced and crowdfunded in that sense. But I think they used the opportunities they had. And so John's sitting there and is like, oh, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Who who got to the tomb first? Who who ran faster? And yeah, who had to wait for somebody else to get there before we went in? Um, so I just kind of see that there's actually a little bit of playfulness, a little bit of humor, a deep friendship in the apostles. And um, this is where thinking about that friendship and thinking about my own friends in my life and, and the people I love and have been um, with me through thick and thin and some of the uh, most important moments in my life allowed me to reflect on this encounter, the first encounter on Easter Sunday morning with Mary Magdalene, with Peter, with John. In seeing how each one of those three has their own experience with the resurrection, you know, the, the, they each have their own experience with the empty tomb, and yet they're able to share in it together in a, in a community. And we, we start to pick up on this uh, through the Acts of the Apostles and through, uh, you know, the epistles of St. Paul and how he continually says, no, we're drawn together as one body of Christ. It's in Christ in whose resurrection that we've been baptized or who, that we are drawn together in one. And you see in these three individuals in the first Easter Sunday morning, the first encounter with the resurrection, they each have their own experience, and yet they're able to share in that together, each from their own facets, but share in the one resurrection in that sense. And I just think it's a beautiful opportunity for each one of us to pick up on that theme that I mentioned in the first uh, reading that we see once again, we see how uh, Mary Magdalene becomes the witness and she begins to give testimony, the apostle to the apostles, as Father Gregory mentioned, but how from our unique encounter with the resurrection, our personal uh, you know, experience in that encounter with that empty tomb, and yet that is not exclusive, that we can actually share in those moments with each other and allow it to be the source of tremendous amount of joy and um, deep uh, intimacy and unity with each other as Christians, knowing that it's the same Lord that has risen from the dead for all of us and for each of us. There you have it. Uh, so a happy Easter to all of you, whether or not you like peeps, um, you can celebrate in the resurrection of our Lord. Um, I would also recommend perhaps celebrating the resurrection of the Lord for the next eight days. Of course, Easter's an octave. So take advantage of these celebratory days of our Lord's resurrection. Um, they're pretty great. And uh, 
highly recommend it. Uh, let's finish with the prayer after communion then. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Look upon your church, O God, with unfailing love and favor, so that renewed by the Paschal mysteries, she may come to the glory of the resurrection through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of Godsplaining. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. All of that is super helpful. If you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, follow the link in the description. You can also follow the links in the description to shop Godsplaining merchandise and to get information about Godsplaining events, particularly our retreats that are coming up this summer and fall. Go to godsplaining.org to check those out. Um, to all of you, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us. Happiest of Easter's, and until next time, God bless. Mm -hmm.